Miracy. And the crazy thing is it worked. I made $1,650 in sales. And everyone's got a different frame of reference for money. For some people, that might not sound all that amazing. For me, my goal was $10,000 in a year. And here I just made it like in the span of a week, $1,650. I was just about doing backflips. I mean, no one had ever paid me for something that I created before that. Welcome to season two of Just Between Coaches. I'm Melinda Cohen, and I run a business called The Coaches Console, and we're proud to have helped more than 70,000 coaches create profitable, thriving businesses. In this new season, we're going to return to our roots by focusing on questions that newer coaches are dying to ask more seasoned coaches. We're really excited about our new lineup and the value that these episodes will bring to coaches at every level. Our guest today needs no introduction, but before I bring him on, I wanted to tell you about my experience as a newer coach. When I started my coaching business, I had to take a huge leap into the unknown. I had never had my own business. I actually didn't want my own business for the longest time. I didn't want to be an entrepreneur, but I had just lost my corporate job. So I launched my own business. It was scary, but I was successful, which was great. And then I asked myself, you know, what's next? What can I add to the mix? And that's when Kate and I, that's when we founded Coach's Console. It was a technology business. We had no idea what we were doing or what we were launching. We had never had a technology company before. And so in this episode, I want to look at the nervousness and the hesitations that we might experience when launching our coaching services or our product, particularly when it comes to asking for the sale. How can we be more confident asking for the sale? And so to do that, I invited the person I look at as my mentor for this, a dear friend of mine, a colleague, and well, the best person I know to talk about this topic, Jeff Walker. Jeff started back in 1996 with nothing, as I've heard him tell. He had zero dollars to start with and no experience starting a business. And after that humble start, Jeff quickly developed a process for launching new products and businesses. And he has had incredible success over the years. And today he's renowned for his product launch formula. And he's the author of the New York Times bestseller book, Launch. And so welcome, Jeff. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Melinda. It's good to be here with you. I am so thrilled to have you on the show. And, you know, I've heard you tell your background story several times when I've been at your events or just in the mastermind or in different conversations, but you went from being unemployed and then making millions of dollars. And so would you just share with our listeners a little bit of your story and your background? Sure. Basically, in the very early 90s, I'd been a corporate failure. I was in the corporate world and I did not fit and I did not thrive and I wasn't doing well. So when my wife and I had our son, she landed a job. So I quit my job because we wanted to try to have one of us be home with the kids. And it was all going great. By then we had our daughter. So I was taking care of two young kids. But frankly, we had very, very little money. We were as a one income family. We were just scraping by and I was looking for some way to possibly help change our family's fortune. Really, my goal was to make $10,000 in a year. I thought if I could make $10,000, that would change everything. And I had a lot of different paths I was going after at that time. 
One of them was this crazy idea of me going back to school, getting another degree, and then trying to go back to the corporate world where I, you know, I wasn't successful in the first place. So that just wasn't a very great idea. It shows the level of my thinking back then. But one of the other things I started to do was I started publishing an email newsletter in August 1996. And there were not very many newsletters back then. There was very few people publishing online back then. And I actually thought if I could start publishing this newsletter and start to get a bunch of subscribers to it, then eventually I could put that on a resume and maybe that could help me get a job or get into grad school or something like that. So the first email went out to everyone I knew who had an email address, which back then was not everyone. So I scraped together a list of 19 email addresses that I could send my first newsletter to. And that overstates it a little bit because one of those was my second email address and one was my wife's email address. But <laughs> but it felt better to say 19 than 17. So I sent that first newsletter out. And then I just started publishing twice a month, which seemed like quite often back then. But it was just a different world. And slowly, I began to gain subscribers through word of mouth. The next one I had 20-some subscribers and then 30 and then 50 and then I cobbled together a free website. I got a few more subscribers. And over time, over the next six months or approximately, I don't know, I got, I was over a thousand subscribers. It gradually grew and grew and grew. And I had this thought that, wow, maybe I can sell these folks something. The only problem is that I'd never sold a thing in my life. I wasn't a salesman. I wasn't, I didn't know anything about marketing. And frankly, I felt scared to ask for the sale. They're not going to like me if I ask them for money. And so I had all these hangups about money, about sales, about marketing. So I hit upon this idea that was I would just deliver even more free value and have that lead into the sale, have that free value sort of start the conversation in their minds that would lead to the thing that I wanted to sell them, which was basically an upgraded version of my free newsletter, a better newsletter that came out more often and had more stuff in it. That first launch was in January of 1997, and I actually made some sales. I put together the value that led into asking for the sale, and I sent out a very long email that said, I hope you enjoyed everything I've given you. I've got this new version of the newsletter. It's coming out. It's going to be awesome. This is what's going to be in it. If you want it, print out this email, write a check, and then <laughs> mail me that check. Because Melinda back then taking online payments was rocket science just about. I mean, it was way beyond my capabilities. And the crazy thing is it worked. I made $1,650 in sales. And everyone's got a different frame of reference for money. For some people, that might not sound all that amazing. For me, my goal was $10,000 in a year. And here I just made it like in the span of a week, $1,650. I was just about doing backflips. I mean, no one had ever paid me for something that I created before that. You know, I'd always had jobs where you go to a job and they give you a paycheck. But the idea that I could create something of value that people would actually pay me for my creation was just mind blowing. And right at that time, I had this thought. It's right up there with the most important thoughts that I've ever had, at least to me personally. And that thought was, I did this once. I can do it again. And I can do it again. And I might even get better at it. And that is sort of what's defined the following 25 years because, you know, a few months later, I, I put together another launch and 
that one did $6,000 in sales. So the growth from $1,650 to $6,000 was just mind blowing. It was just incredible. And then I followed that up with another one that did $8,000. And then what I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to make this seem really fast and like it was an overnight success, but it definitely wasn't. Because eventually, a few years later, I did the launch that brought my wife Mary home that, in other words, allowed her to retire from her job where we knew this business was sustainable. That launch did $34,000 because that was as much money I'd ever made in a year. And here I'd made it in a single week. Now, there's effort leading up to that week. But from when I actually opened up the shopping cart and started taking sales, it was $34,000. It was just mind bending. And then now fast forward really quickly. Around 2003, 2004, I went to a marketing conference. I met a bunch of other people that had online businesses. And that's when I realized what I was doing was unique, that other people weren't doing these launches the way I did them. And they weren't having these $100,000 weeks. And so I started to help a few people. I started to coach a few people. And then in 2005, I came out with what we call the product launch formula, which is this training program, this coaching program. and Since 2005, I've had tens of thousands of people go through that program. Can't even calculate the dollars in sales that I've had. I know in my career, I'm closing in $100 million of my products that I've sold. But the important figure is my students have now done over a billion dollars in sales in just about every market or niche you could ever imagine in all kinds of different languages around the world. If you see someone launching online in a big way, if you see someone come out with a course, a coaching program, a membership site, a mastermind, and they just, all of a sudden, it's sort of like everywhere and everyone's talking about it and it's just, it's a big deal. Those folks learned how to do that from me or from someone who learned from me. I know that sounds egotistical, but when you've been around for 25 years grinding away at something, then uh, that's the kind of impact that hopefully you end up with. Yeah, it's just speaking truth, nothing egotistical about that. And there's two things I love from your story. I love how you took us from the journey from the first launch, I think you said was $1,650 and you were doing backflips. And now here you are, not only are you having incredibly successful launches, but you've also helped these thousands of students do over $8 billion in sale. And just the gap that that has covered is remarkable. And I know as a lot of times um, entrepreneurs especially when we're starting out, it can feel daunting. We want to get to those big numbers. We want to get to that big impact. We have to remember, oh yeah, it starts with that $1,650 launch. It starts with the first 19 emails and then the first thousand emails. And I love when you were talking about how you, when you sent that first newsletter and you're like, wait a minute, I've got a thousand people. Maybe I could have them pay me for something. And you made the comment, I was scared to ask for the sale. And you said, they won't like me if I ask them for money. And that was kind of the driver that's like, well, how can I do this in a way that can naturally lead to them paying me for something? Can you talk more about that? Because I know with the new coaches that we work with, that's mostly who we interact with at Coaches Console. They're brand new in their business. They've never sold anything. Or if they have, they've never sold anything of their own before. And so being scared to ask for the sale, what was that like? Can you describe that a little bit more? Yeah, it's interesting because there's often so much fear around asking for the order. The first thing you have to understand is that you're not taking money from anyone. It's always going to be a value exchange. You're making an offer 
of value and asking for value in return. And the reality is that a lot of people are very happy to publish content, free content. People are publishing, publishing, publishing. They're putting out social. They're putting out emails. They're publishing a blog. They're putting out videos. They're doing lives. And they feel great just teaching, teaching, teaching. So many people in our world are like that. And they feel like there's a switch. Boom. A switch has to flip for them to start selling, for them to ask for the sale. But the reality is that your free content can only take people so far. People wouldn't go through it because they're not invested. You can give free, 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 but unless someone's invested, invested enough, I'm talking on a big metaphorical sense, not even money, but they have to be truly invested in themselves to make the effort to affect whatever change you're delivering. And that change could be that they're learning a foreign language, that they're learning to meditate, that they're learning to have a better relationship with their spouse, that they're learning to lose weight, that they're learning how to build a business, whatever it is, it takes effort on their part. And it takes behavior change. And behavior change is hard for humans. So for them to be truly invested, you have to take them through a process to get them invested. And one of the ways for them to invest is for them to invest their money. So really, I think one of the highest services that you can do for someone is to show them there's an opportunity for their life to be different. There's an opportunity for their life to be better. But they have to see that vision, and then they have to enroll in that vision, and they have to invest in that vision. And you can only take them there if you get them invested. And a huge part of getting them invested is have them actually invest dollars or or whatever, cryptocurrency or (laughs) euros or whatever for them to actually invest. And Melinda, I know you. I know you very well. I know the business that you have. I know the people that are going to be listening to this. They're, they're people that want to be change makers. They want to help people. And the, so the highest service that you can have for those people is to not just sort of take them up to the altar and then leave them waiting. It's to take them all the way through so that they completely enroll and invest. So making an offer is, is really, in the end, when done right, is the highest service that you can do for people. I truly believe that because I also was scared to ask for the sale. For some reason, I could sell everybody else's stuff. From the time I was a little girl, I was one of the number one sellers of Girl Scout cookies or (laughs) my youth group pizzas or whatever it was. I could sell it for other people. But when it came to selling my own stuff, all of a sudden there was a weird block that started happening. And I had to I don't know if it was a game I played with myself. It it wasn't intentional at the time, but I had to replace the word sale with the word invitation so that I could let down my own resistance and truly understand exactly what you just said. It's like, wait a minute, I am being of service to support them to get something that they want. I just happen to be able to help them. Now I have no problem using the word sale or offer or asking for the sale because I understand what that is. But there is this interesting resistance that we have uh, that we don't want to exploit or take advantage of people. And truly, we have what they need and we are the ones that can help them. And I, I love the process of that free value naturally leads to the sale. It's like, then it's just an invitation. If you like this and want more of it and you like me and want me to help you, I'm happy to do that. And if not, I'm not your person. And it became this 
detached way of making the offer. It could be no strings attached. I wasn't attached to it for me. I wasn't attached to it for them. Can you talk about that a little bit about being attached to the sale? Yeah, it's interesting because the more attached you are to a sale, generally the less effective you're going to be. And this is almost tactical, but it's also a mindset here. You never want to appear desperate to make the sale ever. It's a very off-putting if someone perceives you as being in a state of desperation. You want to be the opposite. The more unattached you can be to the any individual outcome in terms of a sale or an offer, the more powerful you'll be able to make it. Now, when you're just starting out, when I was just starting out, you are a little bit desperate usually. It's true. <laughs> but it's a matter of experience and of knowing that you're going to be just fine and being desperate to get a client it is bad because you'll end up taking the wrong clients. So and then you'll you'll lowball your oh, prices, like all kinds of bad all things. All kinds of bad that. things. Yeah. But I just want, do want to acknowledge that when you're starting out, it is sort of it's easy at my stage where my business is at for me to just not really care whether someone says yes or no. It's harder in the beginning. I mean, the more you can put yourself in the state of not thinking about this possible transaction and what that will mean, but think that five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you're going to have a thriving business. You're going to have amazing clients. And this one possible transaction, it just doesn't matter in the big scheme of things. Now, I will tell you that, like, certainly I want to project, like if I'm making an offer, I am unattached to each individual making a decision. But what I am attached to is trying to get them to make a decision. Because so many of us live in a zone, a gray zone, where we have some aspirations, but we haven't committed. We haven't enrolled. We haven't said yes. And so when people are watching me and they're watching my free masterclass where I teach for, I don't know, it's probably about 12 hours of teaching. It's all 100% free. And it leads to an offer for my coaching program. And when people are going through that with me, I'm teaching my heart out. I'm giving as much value as I can in those 10, 12, 14 hours of teaching. And at the end, what I am attached to is getting them, getting my viewers to say yes or no, to not say maybe. Say, if, you, if you're going to say no, you don't want to go further with me, that's fine. That's fine. You've made a decision. You've said, this is not right for me. If you say yes, fantastic, then we're going to be working together. Awesome. That's ultimately what I would love for them to say. So for me these days, that's what I am truly attached to, is getting them to that precipice and saying, okay, say yes or no. doesn't matter which, but just say one or the other, because you don't want to be in the gray zone. You don't want to just be in there, this, this sort of gray, amorphous, I want my life to be better at some point in the future. Here, I'm giving you a way to make it better. This might be the way for you, or it might not be the way, but make a decision. Yeah, I like that. Be attached to making a decision and, and to getting the clarity for, are you a yes? Where are you? Where do you want to be and be there? So I do like that attachment. That's pretty cool. Now, when we talk about being scared to ask for the sale, do you think that's what they're most nervous about? Is they're scared to ask for the sale? Or what do you see that keeps, keeps them from or blocks them from launching something? I think part of it is that being scared to ask for the sale. I think a big part of it is they, they've built up this moment, built up into this dream. And when they click that button, 
that launch button that says, okay, we're live, go here, check out the details. When it comes to that moment, I think a lot of times people are like, okay, I've got this dream. I've thought about it for years or decades. And then for the last X number of weeks or months, I've actually got into action and I've built, I've built up this following and I've built up this pre-launch content and I've put together this offer and I've built out this product and I have all these hopes and dreams and aspirations and these vision of what my life's going to be. And when I push that button, then I'm going to actually find out yes or no, does this work? Do I get the brass ring? And so I think there's this fear of, of it's not going to work. I've put all this into this moment and it's not going to work. And I think that's what holds people back a lot. And, and the reality is that, you know, my first launch did $1,650. I've sold a hundred million dollars, approximately a hundred million dollars of my products now. That first launch did $1,650. It's like you're not going to be perfect your first time out. It's just a step along the way. But until you push that button, until you launch, until you get an offer out into the market, you're not in the game. And, you know, I take all this very seriously, but it is a game that you're not in the game unless you have an offer out there and you've made that offer and you've gotten the feedback from the market on whether they like that offer or not. You Maybe you put out some stuff on Instagram, or you publish some videos on YouTube, or you even put together an opt-in page, and you've started to build a list. You're still not in the game. Maybe you've built a product out. You're still not in the game. You're only in the game once you make that offer for in front of someone. As you're describing that, I'm, it's taking me back to, my gosh, almost 20 years ago when I first launched my coaching business. And I just started with my own coaching services, just my private, people could hire me. I had my coaching package. That was it. And then something helped me to get clients. There was a program and I was like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. It helped me. I loved it. And as it turned out, my mentor, she was licensing it. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I can get trained and certified and I can sell her program as if it's my own. I'm like, that is cool. And so I remember I studied and I knew the program and I knew how to facilitate it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. This was back in the day of teleclasses. So before any, there was (laughs) no such thing as Zoom or you weren't meeting people online. It was, let's get on the phone and we'll all be on a group call together. And um, so I was going to offer my first teleclass and I clicked that button and I sent that email and it was a big goose egg. That was my very first time offering something that like I was talking with people, they were hiring me for my coaching services, but as far as a program that I was offering, it was a goose egg. Nobody signed up. I was like, well, that's humiliating. And I just felt embarrassed and hum- I was like, wow, I don't have what it takes. And I was beginning to doubt myself. And um, another mentor at the time, she's like, no, no, it's you'll still fill it. You're just not going to fill it the way you thought. Go to your colleagues, give them a free spot if they bring somebody in exchange for a testimonial. And I was like, wait, what? And she was like, you're exchanging value. It doesn't mean it has to be money. There's all kinds of things that are valuable to you right now. Feedback, insight, testimonials, all that. I was like, oh my gosh. And so that really stuck with me that whenever I would launch something, it wasn't a matter of if I was successful, but when or how. I just thought it was going to look one way, but it's like, no, 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 that's not the only way. And that really helped me to get over the fear of 
the perfectionism of failure, of the humiliation of like, oh my gosh, I hit that button. It didn't work. It's like, oh no, that version didn't work, but let's try something else. And, and so when you said the name of the game is you've got an offer, you've made it and you've gotten feedback. And so I got feedback on certain things that did resonate and didn't. And from there I could adjust. And then I started filling it. Uh, and so that feedback was more valuable in the beginning than the money that they could pay me. Now, I did need to have money because I did have to pay my bills. So uh, I don't want to preach that you should give it away. But just that that value exchange, it's important to make that value exchange and be clear on what that is. Have you ever had a failure? I know you said your first launch was you know, $1,650 and you were doing backflips. Have you ever launched something and you're like, well, that didn't go well? You know, I've had some that didn't go that well. It, I think the only time I've done a complete goose egg is more like a when I've done like an evergreen kind of a process. And I've had some of those that are like, okay, well, that we got feedback there. I remember one offer where I put some together and I thought I was going to sell hundreds and I sold maybe three or four. So absolutely. And, you know, I mean, if you look at your story, you went from zero to 18 years later, 18 years of success. And, you know, building a significant business and building a team and having thousands of clients. And it just goes to show that your first offer is going to be a hot mess. Your first opt-in page is going to be a hot mess. Your first, everything's, it's just, it's all a process, but you got to get in the game. Yeah. You got to get in the game and it is a process. And you really taught me something, um, and I talk about it in my book. You you were so gracious enough to let me share it in there. And the powers in the debrief like that, I think that is one of the biggest, most important parts of the launch process is having that debrief scheduled after the fact so you can say what worked, what didn't work, what are we going to do differently? Because the quicker that you can move through that, I find that puts a, it just really eliminates all the trepidation or the anxiety. It's like, okay, let's roll up our sleeves. We're committed to this. Let's, what are we going to do now? Can you talk about that debrief process? Yeah, it's critical. So it's really easy to forget to stop. And, and after you've done something to take a look and see what went well, what do I want to do differently in the future? Now, I got to tell you, I've been doing this for 25 years. The last time we did this, that was our, I think, probably our 17th or 18th consecutive million dollar launch. And we've done those every year since 2005 and sometimes twice a year. And yet we're still finding 17 pages of things we can do better or that we did well that we want to remember to do again. So it's absolutely, it's how you learn. It's, you know, the education you got from making that offer and selling zero, that education is what set you up to be where you're at right now today. Yeah. And I remember one of my favorite books is The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Do you know that book? Yep. Yep, I do. And it was one that my very first coach gave to me early on. And so it was fresh in my mind when that was happening. And that agreement, don't take things personally. I just kept going back to it's like, don't take things personally. You're committed to the bigger mission. And I just had to keep remembering, why am I doing this? What am I committed to? And remembering that trumped my fears and doubt so that I could do that debrief and say, okay, what do I need to do differently? How do I need to learn from this? Because I'm not giving up because I'm committed to this bigger vision that I have and this bigger thing that I want to create and go for. But it's the powers in the debrief and it's not a matter of if, but when and how. 
What's important is that you follow your plan because that's what's going to keep you in the game in the long run. And it's the same way with any type of promotion or any type of launch. You can only control what you can control. All you can do is execute. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I want to summarize. We have talked about so many different interesting aspects of this topic. We kicked off this conversation with your amazing story reminding us, you know, your quote unquote overnight success started with a launch that began with 19 emails and two of them were your own so that we won't say that it was 17, but we'll call it 19. (laughs) Thank Uh, you. And then it started with a launch that was $1,650. And that's like, that's where it begins. We talked about how so many are scared, you, me, so many out there scared to ask for the sale. And I love what you said when you said, remember, you're not taking money from anyone. You're offering an exchange. You're making an offer of value. And in return, they're giving you something of value. And I loved that perspective. And uh, the you shared with us, kind of woven throughout this whole conversation, how you created that framework of free value that naturally leads to that sale and invitation. And you reminded everybody that free content can only take people so far uh, that to truly make change in somebody's life, that person has to also be invested in themselves to affect that change that we're delivering and that it takes behavior change. And they truly have to be invested for them to go through that process. We talked about being attached to the sale and never being in that state of desperation, but you can be attached to making the decision and having that clarity. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. And we talked about the name of the game. You're not in the game unless you have an offer. You're making that offer and you're getting feedback. And then we went through the debrief process and to follow your plan. Jeff, do you have any parting words for our listeners? I guess my parting words are that this is all doable. If you're listening to this podcast and you want to have a business, if you want to be a coach, there's never been a better time. It's all so, so doable. It's been a crazy journey I've been on for 25, 26 years. And it all started with making that first offer, with moving forward and gradually getting better. There is, anytime you hear about an overnight success, we all know this, there is no such thing. All there is, is putting in an effort, creating value for other people, offering that value to them, communicating that value to them, and then moving them forward. I mean, this is a glorious business. This is a business where we get to change lives. We get to help people and truly change lives. No matter where you're at in it, I want you to either ask you to recommit and double down, double down on all the good you're doing. And if you're just starting out, so many of us have been there and it is all doable. You're not going to be an overnight success. You can get there by putting one foot in front of the other about taking that next baby step and moving forward. Awesome. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Just Between Coaches and a huge thank you to you, Jeff, for this amazing conversation. You can actually find out more about Jeff at productlaunchformula.com. That's productlaunchformula.com. Jeff, thank you so much for coming to the show. Oh, you're welcome, Melinda. It's always great to talk to you. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. Just Between Coaches is part of the Miracy FM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Once Upon a Business and Course Lab. This episode was produced by Cynthia Lamb. I wrote this episode with Mishi Lance, and she assembled the episode. 
Danny Eney is our executive producer and post-production was by Post Office Sound. To get future episodes that are coming on Just Between Coaches, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or, well, wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Miracy. And so the tailor, having gathered together the beautiful scraps, began to sew. He stitched and he sewed and he sewed and he stitched. And by the morning time, he had made himself a beautiful coat. Now, when he wore his coat into the market, everyone admired it so much that the tailor decided to wear the new coat everywhere. And that's what he did. He wore it and wore it and wore it until it was all worn out. Or was it? In each episode of Once Upon a Business, Lisa shares a fairy folk or traditional tale and then extracts rich business lessons that are applicable for entrepreneurs, coaches, and course creators. Stories always take us on a journey from one place to the next. Sometimes this journey is literal, sometimes it's metaphorical, but always we find ourselves transformed. This story, The Tailor's Coat, originating from Europe, takes us through a literal transformation of the pieces of cloth and yet somehow teaches a powerful lesson. It does speak to a common entrepreneurial journey. Many of us start out working for someone else and give them everything we've got. Perhaps the tailor finally deciding to make something for himself is similar to the entrepreneurial desire to begin to create a business for ourselves. We take the scraps, the skills that we've developed, the experience that we've gained, and we launch our own business. I think it's an incredibly important skill for an entrepreneur, for anybody running a business, to be able to know that creating something out of nothing is always possible. And it's often the way forward because it's out of the scraps of what's been done before. It's out of almost the missing pieces that are not quite there that we can actually bring our creativity and bring our determination and bring our vision to create something really wonderful, really brand new and really beautiful. And then we can walk around the town with it. You know, we can be proud. We can step out and we can wear it until it's almost worn out, but not quite. To hear more of Lisa's stories and learn the deep lessons they carry, make sure you subscribe to Once Upon a Business wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you every other week with a brand new episode.